Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Uh, so here's an adaptation of a Serbian joke that I just heard. Um, this kid comes home and he finds his mom cheating on his dad, um, so he jumps in the closet to hide. And at that instant, the dad comes home too, so the wife throws her lover in the closet with the kid. And they're uh, standing there in the dark, and the kid says to the guy, gee, it's dark in here. And the guy says, yes. The kid says, I have a soccer ball. You want to buy it? And the guy says, no. The kid says, that's my dad out there. The guy says, all right, how much is the ball? And he goes, $200. The guy buys the ball. So next week, same thing. Kid ends up in the closet. The guy's in there with him. The kid says, it's dark in here. And the guy says, yeah, it is. And the kid goes, I have a pair of uh, uh, cleats. I have a pair of cleated sneakers. Um, You want to buy them? And the guy goes, how much? And the kid says, $1,000. And the guy goes, okay. The following week, the dad wants to go out. He says to to the kid, "Uh, let's grab grab your ball and your cleats. Let's go play soccer. And the kid goes, I don't have them. And the dad says, what'd you do with them? And the kid says, I sold them. I sold them for $1,200. Dad says, God, didn't we raise you any better than that than to rip other little kids off? You snowed some poor kid for $1,200. I'm going to take you to church and teach you a lesson. So he takes the kid to church, and the kid goes in the confessional, and he goes, gee, it's dark in here. And the priest says, don't start that again. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from author Taya Obrett. Her new novel is The Tiger's Wife. And coming up, filmmakers Evan Gladell and Tyler Dawson, Seasick Paydays, Making Love to Sandwiches, Liberté, Egalité, Guillotin, and Can't You Tell? I can. I'll tell you more about it in the form of small talk. Yes. All week long, you've been hearing this. Japan's nuclear troubles grew worse still today. President Obama spoke to the nation about his decision to intervene in Libya. Finally tonight, remembering Geraldine Ferraro. Now for something you haven't heard, we turn to Ian Chillog. He is a producer at Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and the co-host of the podcast, How to Do Everything. Ian, what story are you going to be talking about at your dinner party this weekend? You're familiar with the term combat pay. Soldiers get more money if they're in a war zone. Mm -hmm. Ferry workers, the guys on the boats in Washington state, have something called penalty pay in their contracts. Everyone else calls it barf pay (laughs) or vomit pay. This is what we're going to be talking about at dinner parties? (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be a really bad dinner party. (laughs) What is it? Well, they're on these boats. Whenever somebody gets seasick, they get double pay. For cleaning it up. Wow. Yeah. You think they get more pay for transporting yeah. human beings safely across water? <laughs> like, you think well, that, that would be the tough part? Is this in the news for some reason? So Washington State is facing some budget problems. So there's this Democratic state senator there who is like, why are we paying these guys extra money for doing their job? The other thing is, wouldn't they take a really long time cleaning up if they got paid extra? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, there's no incentive yeah. to be quick on the draw there. Well, the incentive is that you spend less time around a stranger's barf, <laughs> which is a very strong incentive. Uh, Ian Chalag, <laughs> thank you for the small talk. Hey, thanks, guys. And now, perhaps inappropriately, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history is a horse, but instead of leading it to water, you lead it to booze. (laughs) I think PETA will have something to say about that. I think they'll say thanks. All right, first the history. This week back in 1814, a physician died who lent his name to France's most famous invention. Nope, his name wasn't Dr. Lingerie. (laughs) Our friend Michelle Philippi is here with the story. Before the French Revolution, getting executed in France was just no fun. 
If you were poor, you'd be tortured to death or slowly hung. If you were rich, you'd mercifully have your head chopped off with a sword. But even that didn't always cause instant death. So after the revolution, France's progressive new government decided the system needed a civilized overhaul. Enter physician Joseph Guilton. His suggestion, a painless beheading machine that'd be used on anyone, rich or poor. Engineers made one and honored Joseph by calling it a guillotine. This symbol of humane egalitarianism soon got a workout. When the revolutionary government got a little paranoid and started executing, quote, enemies, an estimated 15 to 40,000 of them. Historians call it the Reign of Terror, which is mildly ironic because Guillotin was against the death penalty. He hoped the machine would be a step toward banning it. And eventually, France did outlaw capital punishment and the guillotine, 189 years later, in 1981. So that was the history lesson. Now it's time for the booze. I'm on the line with Steve Wilshire. He is the bar manager at Bar Tonique in the French Quarter in New Orleans. Steve, you heard the history. What cocktail did it inspire you to make? It inspired me to do a play on the blood and sand. Oh, this is like a port cocktail of some sort? It's a scotch-based cocktail. Okay. See, I, I thought port because port's more like blood than scotch, depending right. on what hour of the day you cut someone open. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I was reading through the history of the guillotine. Turns out that it was not actually invented by Dr. Guillotine. He had actually seen it used in Scotland before. So I said, well, the French are taking that from the Scottish, so we'll take a Scottish cocktail and turn it French. I like it. So what's in it? There's a cocktail of equal parts of Luxardo, Sangue Merlaco, which is a cherry liqueur, Chinar, an artichoke amaro from Italy, All right. cognac, and uh, fresh orange juice. So do you have a name for this cocktail? Um, I did some more research. And they would use a lot of straw when they were beheading to sop up some of the you know, <laughs> excess blood. Uh, so I decided to call it a blood and straw. And if people drink too many, you'll cut them off. <laughs> well, not so much here in New Orleans, but you know, hey. Man, I'm just amazed the guillotine is named after a doctor who wanted to alleviate suffering. I know, it's a dark, it's a dark irony. You're right. It's like if AK-47 was a Trappist monk. <laughs> <laughs> like a tough monk. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, here's something that's not too tough. Remembering our website, it's dinnerpartydownload.org. Our guests of honor this week are two makers of the indie film Bellflower, which is generating a lot of buzz and controversy on the festival circuit. Evan Gladell wrote, directed, and stars in it. Thank you. And Tyler Dawson co-stars. Thank you. How's it going? Very well. Um, this film is about a guy who's obsessed with the movie The Road Warrior, and he spends half the film falling just achingly in love. It's, it's really beautiful. And then in the second half of the film, things just go completely, insanely off the rails. Is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I, I always imagine it was almost like horror. The second half, it just rips it apart and almost goes into horror territory. It's a tragic love story, but it incorporates a, an insane amount of flamethrowers and muscle cars. Why? <laughs> why have I done this? <laughs> the original idea for the movie, which is why it's structured that way, was to somehow illustrate how terrible it is to go through a, a really, really awful relationship and breakup because it's much worse when you're the person than it is to watch someone go through it. 
So you, <laughs> you have to make it really horrible. <laughs> but those are scary emotions to confront. Are you afraid of where you had to go in your head to come up with some of the unsettling scenes? Uh, I don't know if I would say I, I was afraid. I know there were certain scenes that when the day came to shoot him, I was like, oh, are we actually going to do this scene? I actually had to debate with myself, whether, even though I really love the film, whether to have you guys on this because it's a movie that I know some in our audience will be like, why did you make me see that? I can only say that you should stick with it through the end because it's, there's a point to things, but does it bother you that it's, it evokes that kind of reaction? I know you've had walkouts and things like that. I would say absolutely not in the least. We have had such an unbelievably good reception compared to what I thought was going to happen. So people are getting it mostly. Well, we've had some interesting responses. We had a guy uh, after one of our first screenings at Sundance start tweeting about how much he disliked the movie. And a couple hours later, he was like, okay, wait, I've been talking to people. I'm starting to think I really like this movie. And within a couple of days, he's like, you have to go see this movie. So it's a, it, I think it's an experience. One of the things everyone's talking about this film is the ingenuity it took to pull it off. You made it for years with no money. You built your own cameras and you built the flamethrower that you mentioned earlier. And I kind of want to know, which came first, the flamethrower or the movie? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I've always wanted a flamethrower since I was a kid. When I was writing the first draft of the script, I just suddenly, I was like, what are these characters doing right now? What do I want the characters to do? And I'm like, they're building a flamethrower. The second that I put that in there, I had an excuse to build it. I'm like, okay, now now I have a reason to build a flamethrower, and I'm older, and I can figure it out now. And it actually, you know, I measured the flame on it once. It's almost 60 feet. <laughs> which I think is insane. All right, we have two questions that we ask everyone on the show. The first is, if we were to meet you at a dinner party, what question would you least like to be asked? Where did the idea for this movie come from? Not just because I hate answering the same question a thousand times over and over, but it's a very private question. I'm like, oh, my life was falling apart. And I wanted to die, and I had this idea. So, But is that surprising? I mean, the movie is... It's a psychotic film, almost by design. I mean, it's about a guy going through a kind of psychosis, right? Yeah. And it feels so heartfelt that you want to know where that came from. And I totally understand that, and I will keep answering the question, but it's definitely the one I'm the most sick of. Um, all right, our second question is sort of the converse. Tell us something we don't know. Well, the entire time we were shooting the movie, Evan and I both had bench warrants out for our arrest. Mostly traffic violations and nothing crazy, but it got to the point where... We would be shooting with no permits in a back alley where we weren't supposed to be blowing things up. And it wasn't the worry that the cops would come and be like, can you guys get out of here and stop filming? They'd show up and like be like, oh, we're, you're under arrest. We're taking you to jail right now. Why didn't you just pay off your tickets? Well, because you're poor and you're putting everything you have into a movie and you're like, am I going to stop and pay $5,000 to the city of Ventura for parking violations? You had $5,000 <laughs> in parking violations? Yeah, there was no way. The only way this movie could have got made is if any little bit of money that came into my hands went right back into the movie to keep us going. Otherwise, we would have been stopped. Avoid the law or make your movie and you chose the movie. Absolutely, yeah. And Brendan, at the screening I saw, those guys pulled up in a car from the movie and shot flames out of the tailpipes. So the police showed up and almost arrested them. Man, these guys, are they're like the Duke boys. <laughs> like the law gets close, but they escape justice every time. They're the filmmakers of Hazard. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find us in that lawless outback of the internet called Facebook. Facebook.com slash Dinner Party Download. 
So we've met our guests of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we talk about food. So Rico, uh, I'm from Philly, yes. and you know that the cheesesteak is really close to my partially clogged heart yeah. in life. I think your heart is actually <laughs> part cheesesteak. That's, well... It's disturbing and disgusting. Well, it's under threat. Your heart is definitely under threat No, the cheesesteak. The cheesesteak cheese <laughs> is under threat. It's, it's being threatened by Paisano's, which is a relatively new local sandwich shop, and their signature sandwich, which is named the, wait for it, Paisano. Clever. Yeah. <laughs> is becoming the most popular sandwich in Philadelphia right now. It's, it is the city's next big thing, you're saying. It is big, and it is the thing. So I met with Peter McAndrews, the owner of Paisano's, and I asked him about their sandwich, starting with the name. Paisano's in Italy means countrymen. We're Paisans. About 15 years ago, me and uh, one of my chefs, we had studied in Italy together. We would split a sandwich every day. And eventually, one of the sandwiches that we, we had made made it to the menu, and we called it the Paisano sandwich because it took two people to eat it. Can you tell us what's in it for people who haven't seen one? It's, this is a brisket. It's uh, essentially slightly cured overnight, so when you slice it, it doesn't fall apart. You can even an Irish gal can cook this, and she wouldn't myrtleize it, you know what I mean? Uh, but it's a roast brisket with hot peppers, roasted tomato, and of course we put two over easy eggs on it to make it nice. Now the egg is a reoccurring feature in some of these sandwiches. That's something uncommon that I haven't seen before. I'm an Irish guy who does Italian food. A egg really plays a, a large role in a lot of Italian cuisine, especially uh, like cucina povera, which is poor people's food. You know, they put eggs in lasagna, uh, they have pepper and egg sandwiches, and we do a, a lasagna sandwich called the lasagna bolognese, which we deep fry a piece of lasagna and we put two eggs on top of it. But in Italy, the eggs would be on the inside, hard cooked. So we just rethought it a little bit and said, hey, you know what? It's self-saucing. You're going to get a little, on, a little on your chin. So you can't lie to your wife and tell you, where, you know, that you weren't out eating sandwiches. But it makes it a gorgeous thing. Fried lasagna. Now, that to me sounds like uh, someone like challenged you to make the craziest sandwich on the planet Earth. Like, how did you come up with that idea? You know, the cooks were in the kitchen. You know, what, what can we eat real fast? We have two pieces of old lasagna left. Instead of throwing them away, you deep fry them and, and put the eggs and uh, smoked mozzarella cheese on it. And there you have the lasagna bolognese sandwich. Are there any cardiologists in this town? Now, actually, I know a few of them. They come into the sandwich shops. But, uh, you know, once a week, you, they, they let you slide, I think. Paisano seems like it's going gangbusters. Everybody talks about it. You have two locations now. You have this restaurant. Did you know it was going to be so successful? In a million years, I never thought it would be that successful because, you know, there are, Philadelphia is a sandwich mecca. Uh, New York has great pizza. Philly has great sandwiches. The sandwich shops that are successful here in Philly are shops that really, you know, you have to, you have to think about every, every layer and you want to put love into every sandwich. You want to make love to the sandwich. I kind of want to make love to that brisket act. Uh, you better ask your girlfriend first because... You look, you look like you're from L.A. I don't know if she's going to let you eat the whole thing. <laughs> I know. I have to, get, I have to get, gain some uh, Philly weight. All right, I want, to take, I want to take a bite of one of these, so that's all right. If I can even bite this, are you supposed to eat this with the forklift? You know, you look, you look nice, so you don't want to get any on your sweater. You know, you have to lean over. All right, hold on. Let me, I'm going to get into this. Mm. Thank you. Yes, I need some napkins. <laughs> and there's horseradish in there, right? Yeah, a little horseradish mayo gives it a nice bite. It helps cut the, the richness and the fattiness of the brisket real nice. And, and then they have the egg to bring that richness and fattiness right back. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It calms it all down. The, the egg is actually what gives it balance. It tones a lot of the sharp flavors down in the sandwich. Is the cheesesteak in any danger being taken over by the paisano, do you think? No, I, I don't think so at all, but uh, it's too ingrained. But the paisano is, is catching up. And in reality, the paisano is a little more uh, educated sandwich, something that's as good or better than a cheesesteak and being, having a little more character. Now you're, now you're on the public record saying it's better than a cheesesteak. You know that. It's going to be threats. I apologize. Uh, I've been threatened before, though. It's no problem. Sandwich man, sandwich man, cartellone di cinema, 
So Rico, I should point out that Savoy Magazine this month named Philadelphia the sandwich capital of the world. Must be very proud. Yet they didn't mention Bizanos, which is going to be a severe ding on their street cred, I'm afraid. Yeah. Something tells me that people who eat fried lasagna sandwiches don't really care what Savoy says. <laughs> that's a, I think that's a good point. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week. Special thanks to Jackson Musker, Charlton Thorpe, and Ravi Carmen. And we leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to and returning from this weekend's Dinner Party. This week's track comes from the band Vetiver. It's called Can't You Tell and is from their upcoming album, The Errant Charm. Bon Appetit.
I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And I'm Rico Galliano. Wow. Where'd you get that? Bellflower dudes ditched it when a cop came by. There go the Dukes of the DPD. What do those two life coaches get into next?